Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is independent of Santa Cruz Guitar Company, and all opinions are those of the speakers. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Well, we would like to welcome all of you to what we hope is going to be a real barn burner, and we hope you're in it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> um, I'm going to read a little bio that I've modified by Marilyn Stringer from, um, I think it's uh, Blues Music Awards, uh, of Catfish Keith, and we want to welcome Catfish here. <clears throat> Catfish is a wonderful guitarist and a fine exponent of acoustic blues. With his resonator and vintage sounding guitars and vintage looking guitars, apparently, from the, the uh, thing I'm looking at, and a fine ear for weeding out old blues and folk tunes that he can rework for a modern audience. He's been entertaining people all around the world for nearly 40 years. Well, nominated for 13 Grammys and four Blues Music Awards. Keith also has won Blues Music Awards in 2019, along with being nominated for his 2020 album. He's been featured at major headline, major music festivals and appeared with legendary artists like John Lee Hooker, Be Still My Heart, Greg Charles, Robert Craig, Coco Taylor, Taj Mahal, Johnny Shines. Catfish gets inside a song a way I have never seen before. He finds the heart of that groove and then he takes us on a journey. So we'd like to really excited welcome you all, Catfish Keith. All right. All right. Thanks, Richard. And, uh, oh, you're making me blush, man. Hey, good. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when fish blush? I, I, apparently, whatever is happening to me now. <laughs> Ted, <laughs> Ted, how's Berkeley this morning? Uh, Berkeley, Oakland are fine. We're a little gray and overcast, and I'm, I am welcoming it. Yeah, it's, uh, maybe we'll even see some rain here in the next couple of weeks. But, um, oh, we sure use it. So let's get right down to it, sir. Uh, Hi, brother. You live in Iowa. Yeah, I was, I was born in East Chicago, Indiana, which is uh, kind of an old steel mill town. It's uh, uh, right where Inland Steel is and everybody around there uh, was um, affected by the the steel mill, but uh, luckily when I was about six years old, we were able to move to Davenport, Iowa. And uh, that's really where I uh, grew up. Um, I had my time into high school in Davenport. And then, uh, then uh, I ended up uh, going to Iowa City. And uh, that's uh, the area that uh, we've been kind of attached to for a long time and that's where I met Penny and Iowa City is a cool college town and so there were venues that I could play back when I was just uh, 18, 19 years old and uh, and so um, that's what attracted me there and there's a lot of great musicians um, around Iowa that um, 
that really got me going and inspired me a lot. And then when I got out on the road, um, I got to meet a lot of the original blues singers from the early days from the, they recorded in the 1920s and 30s or 40s or 50s. But anyway, these were um, the real old time blues singers, people like Johnny Shines and Honey Boy Edwards and Jesse May Hemphill and Henry Townsend and uh, Pine Top Perkins and um, Homesick James. There, there were so many that I was lucky to be in that era. I'm 58, so um, I wasn't there. Uh, I mean, I was alive during the 60s revival, but uh, I started playing in the early 1970s. So that's when I became aware of all this music. And then when I actually got out on the road and could travel around, that's when I got to meet the original guys I'm telling you about, which what I, I would consider them my musical grandparents, kind of. And uh, so rather than just learn off of old scratchy records, which I love to do and still do that, um, getting to know Johnny Shines and Honey Boy and all these, these really beautiful um, mentors of mine really brought it home. So it brought the culture and the original experiences of early blues in to what I was doing. And I think it really made my music, uh, you know, just gel even more by, you know, being connected with the, the original cats. Well, that took me someplace completely differently than I expected to, because when you said East, uh, East Chicago, mm -hmm. I know that the electric Chicago blues guys played there all the time. And I thought, oh, well, so that's, that's where it came from. And then you said when you left at six, you probably didn't get into very many of those clubs. At the no, um, and I, I did later. I mean, um, after, you know, I was in my 20s and was traveling around, um, we had sojourns back into Chicago. I, I don't have any family left there anymore. Everybody's gone, but uh, that was my, uh, where I was born, where I have my first memories. Remember the, the, the town and uh, the huge kind of, variety of ethnic groups that were all piled in together there in East Chicago. Yeah. My grandma is pure Polish. My grandpa is pure Slovak. That side of the family lived there. And uh, even when I was little back there, I was, uh, I would hear old blues and uh, really all kinds of music, but uh, um, it started in East Chicago. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I I was I was blessed to see Honey Boy one time. Oh man. Uh, for about two and a half hours. And he never got in tune the entire night and he didn't need to. You well know, he was so he, he was he so was a, amazing. Just so amazing. Uh he was a beautiful cat and he had unique to Honey Boy is he remembered everybody he ever met and had a beautiful story about people like Petey Wheatstraw and Arthur Big Boy Crudup and all these people that uh, you just have scratchy records of them and maybe you know a little bit about their lives, but uh, he would really paint, um, you know, a very vivid picture of all these cats. And he had quite experienced, quite uh, phenomenal experiences himself 
And uh, he kept going just till the very end. He never really retired. <laughs> he uh, played until he was 96 or seven when he passed. And uh, I really treasure my times. We had so many beautiful times together because we played a lot on some of the same festivals in Ireland and England and uh, all over the USA, you know, and uh, we would, uh, we really enjoyed each other a lot. And he was so funny and so sincere. And uh, he took with, brought with him the whole, all of the culture from those old days. And, you know, he, he knew Tommy McClellan and he knew uh, Tommy Johnson and he could describe what drinking canned heat was like. And uh, <laughs> there was a formula. You soaked it through white bread and uh, you mixed it with orange crush. And uh, apparently it was delicious, but uh, I haven't tried it myself. <laughs> okay. can, can I ask you, uh, uh, Keith, um, did, did you start off wanting to play blues, playing guitar? Did you start off in another musical direction? Did somebody introduce you to music? How, how did you get your start, so to speak? Yeah, well, when I was a kid, um, and this is going back to when I was just, I don't know, five or six years old, uh, around the house, my folks had a few records. There was, uh, I remember there was a Lead Belly record and an Odetta record and, uh, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, and not, not a vast collection, but there, we had Joni Mitchell and uh, Odetta and stuff like that. And I would listen to those as a kid. But um, so uh, the sound of acoustic guitar was always part of growing up. Like when I went to summer camp, when I was, I don't know, I started going there when I was, uh, you know, eight or nine to Camp A Blinken, <laughs> the YMCA camp. Uh, south of Davenport, Iowa, and uh, but the counselors would play uh, songs at the campfire. You know, they would they would sing, uh, you know, about barges and blowing in the wind and all kinds of stuff. So that uh, uh, you know, and song like leaving on the jet plane, we would all cry and because uh, camp was nearly over. You know, and it was but the communication of acoustic guitar, the sound of it was there. And also, I went to uh, this uh, hippie mass, that's what they called it, hippie mass, and also folk mass uh, at the Catholic Church, St. Anthony's in Davenport, Iowa. And um, guitars were played, acoustic guitars were played as part of the mass, you know, the amen part and Lamb of God and all that. So as soon as Father Grubb knew that I could even pick up a guitar, he got me into the church band. And uh, so all those things of acoustic guitar, just as a thing to do for fun in the 70s, um, really made me want to play. And um, so I started out at age 12 and uh, I had a crummy little Stella uh, Harmony guitar. And, uh, you know, it was red and black with painted on binding and impossible to play an F chord. It was total torture. And uh, that was my first guitar. And then my first good guitar was an Alvarez Dreadnought guitar, which was actually a really nice um, guitar. So that's the one I really started to learn on. And the journey through the music, I first would hear finger picking 
um, from people like uh, Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, um, you know, Jim Croce, some of those guys. Uh, but the, the sound I really loved, uh, I thought it was two or three guitar players at the same time. I didn't know that you could do it all by yourself. So when I discovered that that was something you could do by yourself, I was like, man, if I could just get a little bit of that, I'd have something. And uh, so that sort of set me off on my journey to try finger picking guitar. And then by the time, you know, I got, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, I already had, uh, I was already building a pretty big repertoire and I was always curious, uh, you know, where did Paul Simon get his music? Where did Bob Dylan get his? Where, where did Leo Kotke and John Fahey get their music? And it was through people like that, that I, I went back and I went, uh, you know, I, I found out about Big Bill Brunzi and Mississippi John Hurt and uh, Charlie Patton and Memphis Minnie. And we had libraries, like public libraries, that had a bunch of great old blues records in them. They had compilations uh, like the Harry Smith Anthology, they had that. And they had uh, Memphis Mini Records and, um, you know, Blind Boy Fuller and Skip James and Furry Lewis. It was just a treasure trove. So being kind of the nerdy son of two teachers, I loved to spend time at the library. I really did. And I would take home all these records and listen to them. And it was, it was blowing my mind. It was, you know, it was like, um, it was great music. And so I started to really dig deep. And um, Sun House was a big figure too when I heard him. And that's what attracted me to the national guitar. And his sound, that sort of drunken, uh, moaning, banjo and garbage can put together sound uh, is really what kind of made me want a national and made me dig deeper into that, um, that deep Delta blues groove. And uh, so that made me want a national guitar uh, with uh, all my heart. And the poetry in his music is so deep. It's um, if you ever listen to that song, Death Letter. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I know it, it's uh, it's a it look like 10,000 down at the burying ground. I didn't know I loved her until they begin to let her down. Yeah. And I'm 15 years old and I'm hearing this and I'm like, wow. Um, so it, it profoundly affected me as a young fella and uh, almost makes me cry now thinking about it, really. <laughs> and uh, so it like that you're set me on the path. It sounds like you're largely self-taught. Yeah, well, you know, when I was 12, I took lessons. Uh, our next door neighbor, Bert Gibney, was a World War II veteran, and he had a buddy that, that taught some guitar. Alvin Brown was his name. So when I was 12, or 11 or 12, pretty young, I had my, my uh, little harmony guitar, and I went to Alvin Brown's basement, and he taught by the Oahu Publishing Company method. So... He really used all that old sheet music. I don't know if you guys have seen the Oahu Publishing Company songs, but you'd get, I'd get a new song every week, and it'd be like either Let Me Call You Sweetheart or Juanita 
or Fascination, uh, La Cucaracha, all these, these classics that really when I was 11 or 12, I wasn't really into it that much. But he taught me uh, by the method. He, he taught me how to read music. He had a little baton and he would point out the notes and, uh, he'd, uh, and there'd be lines in the Oahu music uh, for um, melody, um, chords, accordion, <laughs> Hawaiian guitar. Yeah. So it had everything uh, that I appreciated a lot later. But at that time, I, I took lessons for about a year and got an impressive book of Oahu Publishing Company music. But it was really kind of dry. And really, I got kind of bored with it at uh, you know, 12 years old. And I, I asked my folks, can I stop these lessons? And I just put it aside for well, about a year. So as time goes on, um, uh, I remember going to a party, uh, this woman that I knew, I guess then I'd be 14, uh, but this woman uh, was at a party and she was probably 15 or 16. But anyway, she had a guitar and she was just making songs up. Another revelation. You know, I didn't know you could just make things up. And I was like, hmm. So it, it, it sort of set the light bulb off in my mind to get the guitar back out. And I had a bunch of chord books of, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and uh, uh, Mel Bay books and all kinds of right. stuff. So I, I studied uh, with the books and was teaching myself, me and Julio down by the schoolyard and all this, this kind of thing. But uh, when I got into finger picking, I discovered Kicking Mule Records. Yep. And uh, that was like about the only resource way back then. And... I would mail order the LPs and they'd come with a tablature book. And so it was a little bit of a roadmap to, to show me, you know, what open detuning is or uh, how to pick those alternating bases. And, uh, and really there were a lot of really great musicians on there that had very complex music that they were presenting that you could, you could learn them from the transcriptions if you wanted to. And I did some, but uh, really it was a roadmap to open up the world so I could, uh, you know, uh, you know, go into dadgad tuning or uh, uh, G minor tuning. And um, it really showed me how to play bottleneck a little bit. Um, it really opened up, uh, Stefan Grossman's label opened that whole world up. So coupled with my own curiosity and uh, desire to go find records, I would, I kept doing that and um, I kept building up repertoire, big repertoires of blue songs. I, I'd, you know, I'd land on like Big Bill Brunzi and I probably learned, you know, a dozen of his pieces and uh, Blind Blake, I went nuts about him and uh, Charlie Patton and Skip James and man, there's so, uh, John Fahey, I loved his music. Um, Leo Kotke, before I was, got into all this country blues, I was, playing Leo Kotke songs kind of by ear, note for note as I could hear them. So I had a lot of instrumental stuff going already, but when I got into blues, I realized I should uh, try to sing too and, uh, you know, make the whole music. And uh, so that's been the journey that um, kind of got me started. And 40 years later, 
it continues to be my sort of quest. It's like uh, the eternal digging in the mystery treasure trove because it's really kind of endless. I mean, I've been collecting and absorbing music for years, but um, man, I always find something new that there's so much great music and guys that, men and women that might've only recorded a song or two, like, like Kid Bailey, he only recorded two songs and maybe he was, you know, Willie Brown, they don't know. And all this kind of nerd uh, mystery stuff that I just love it. And uh, it really uh, inspires me uh, so much still. And uh, so that's kind of how I got started. I think, uh, I think it's the best uh, public service amount, annou announcement I've ever heard for public libraries. Oh yeah. First yeah. of all, you know, um, secondly, is there a song called Mr. Grubb? Mr. Grubb. Yeah. Oh, well, Father Grubb, he was. He was yeah, kind of is a there a Father Grubb figure? Uh, yeah, he was a historic figure, and he actually married me and Penny uh, later on. Cool. That would be when uh, I was twenty-six, and um, so fast forward a few years, he actually did our ceremony out in the country on a beautiful spring day, nineteen eighty-eight, and uh, oh, nice. Um, he, he was an amazing cat. Um, yeah, a really kind of a historic figure in a lot of uh, things um, around this part of the country, but as a part of, you know, the civil rights and uh, mm. um, just he, he was a figure in history that was important and we were lucky to know him and he got me in the church band when I was just, I don't know, 13 or 14 and uh, <laughs> it was an amazing um, connection we had with Father Grubb and uh, he used to drive a, a light blue Camaro with license plates and table boy on them and he was such a character and he wore these big colorful vestments with rainbows and peace signs and all this and uh, wow he was, he was a real cat man. Wow what a blessing to have that in your life. <laughs> yeah, what a blessing. Very cool. It, 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 it sounds like most of the stuff came mail order. You know, um, most of the music, most of the music came mail order. I had a, a really wild experience for about a year and a half where I was going back to New York a lot. And there was Academy Records on 17th Street. And they would have guys standing at the door. And people would walk up with shopping bags full of records and CDs. And they would, there'd be one guy standing there and he'd put them on a table and he'd go a dollar, two dollars, dollar, two dollars. They'd hand them to somebody else and they'd put stickers on them of four dollars or six dollars. And <laughs> if you went in there seven days in a row, the blues section was, would totally transform every seven days. And, you know, I just, as many as I could put in my suitcase every trip. Wow. So, yeah, you know, just, and all, all these, yeah. And it, most of them came from Europe. Uh-huh. You know, where, where they would print a thousand CDs right. of somebody or 500 CDs of somebody and call it a big deal, you know, so. Right. Well, um, sources, um, not only would I, uh, I remember directly mail ordering from Tacoma Records and Kicking Mule Records, but um, 
there was a, a shop in Davenport called Co-op Tapes and Records. They're still there. And uh, there was a good record store and they had a cutout bin. I would go in there and it had the corners snipped off the, the edge of the record. And, but they had some really, and you know, it would cost half price or less, but they had the, some of these LPs were really great. That's where I got my son house record and they had David Bromberg records and uh, um, just all kinds of beautiful stuff at the co-op tapes and records. So that was another place. And then as, as years went on, I got to know a lot of uh, blues record collectors where I would go to their house and ask them uh, and say, uh, do you have any barbecue Bob records? And he'd say, well, yes, of course. And he put them on and I had a, a boom box. It was big. It was, it was about that big and took about a hundred D sized batteries. And, uh, so I'd load it up with batteries, but it, it would record on cassette. So when he played, my collector friends would play the records, I would record it on cassette. And I did that with the records I got from the library too. So I would drive around in the 73 Oldsmobile that used to be my grandma's car. And uh, I had that big um, boom box uh, right next to me and a whole bunch of cassette tapes that I put together myself. And I would, you know, drive along, smoke a joint, um, and listen to, you know, Tommy McClellan or uh, uh, Six Cylinder Smith or, uh, you know, people like that, that I just felt like I was unlocking a real treasure trove. And um, it was really amazing. And it's still, I still remember all that music, you know, it's. It raises an interesting question. Do you think that um, access to some of these early artists and some of their songs is more available now that we have the internet and all this high speed information transfer? Absolutely. Or, so that would, okay. I mean, uh, just go on YouTube. You can find anything on there and, uh, I mean, almost anything, but really it's, it's exhaustive. Um, so that, that can replace having to dig out your records and put them on the player and uh, spin it however many RPMs uh, they need. <laughs> um, so I'm more likely to go on my laptop and look up, uh, you know, um, you know, Blind Boy Fuller or, uh, Yes, any of these cats that, um, but the, they're all, they all, it's always there. So uh, some, I think a lot of the collectors of that music would make YouTube videos of them. And then uh, the companies um, uh, like CD Baby, and they're connected to so many, so many companies, but they also make videos of all their artists. Uh, songs that's all just kind of automatically put out there so it's it just goes on forever so it's easy to access uh when i was a, a kid it was it took a, a bit more determination to find it it was a real search and uh to find uh, a friend uh, that would let you come over and play those <laughs> records and record them on the boom box uh, that was that was a, 
amazing thing to be able to do. And it was really my most treasured things were those cassette tapes. And it's really how I learned so much music. Yeah. So it's way easier now. <laughs> it, it's really amusing to me because I went through a phase like that too, where uh, I had a lot of friends who were going to university and they had these collections of records. Um, and I, I would just borrow them and tape them. So I have a huge collection of cassette tapes that uh, my wife desperately wishes I would uh, throw away at this point since oh. uh, everything's online. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll want that cassette yeah. sometime. <laughs> just have um, to find a cassette player. So you travel all the time. Well, and, and COVID, we did. Yeah. And COVID has kind of shut the door on that for a whole bunch of people. What are you doing to stay, to stay in that? Well, I tell you, um, everything seemed to be going so well. Like February, um, we found out we'd be on these incredible tours with the biggest rock star in the world. And all this stuff was, was going along. And I had, I was building up a better tour than ever in the UK in October and November. And by March, things started to go, you know, it all kicked in. And as the months have gone by, it's clear that it's going to take a while. So um, the actual gigging, um, I'm planning for 2021 as much as I can. But uh, it's, it's hard, like usually when the leaves are turning, we're on a plane flying overseas, you know, and, uh, and through the summer, um, we could have gone any number of places, you know, we've, we have, we've gone to Europe, uh, you know, France, Portugal, uh, Holland, Belgium, uh, so many of the European countries, uh, biggest, um, and most consistent place to do tours would be the UK and Ireland. We've done, uh, it would have been our 51st tour this fall in the UK. Wow. We started going in 92 and, uh, and Ireland as well. And um, so that all, um, for this year, we're having to just postpone it because the venues are required to be closed. And um, some of them are opening where people are six feet apart and um, it's, it's been devastating to the music business, but um, what I try to do is just keep playing the guitars. You can kind of see the guitar room here. So I got a lot of fun toys and uh, um, I'm, I'm making, I have a new record that is uh, gonna be out soon. It's, it's called Blues at Midnight and uh, it's, um, it's almost finalized and um, so I keep the process going of making the music, uh, making the albums. We do, uh, we're videotaping things. Um, we've done, uh, you know, some streaming things. Um, and this is my first Zoom thing. So as long as all these avenues are open and we're invited to do them, um, we'll do that. And we'll keep making videos too, because uh, then you have a nice video. You don't have to depend on 
the technology. We were uh, living in Mexico when the pandemic hit. So we were there um, late January through 4th of July, we fl finally flew home. But uh, uh, down there, the internet's not that great. So we attempted live streaming, but it just didn't work. And so we made, made a video or two and, um, you know, you kind of have to just uh, try and have outlet for your creativity. But I keep, I keep building songs. Um, I'm always building a repertoire for the next album and um, always having fun with the guitars. There's a lot of them, as you can see. I, uh, I, th I think what happened was when I was, uh, I had two guitars that I toured with uh, in the early days, I had a 1930 National, which I still have back here. And I had a 1927 Gibson Nick Lucas Special. That was my good acoustic guitar. So we were doing all this touring with the vintage guitars. And what happens in life? <laughs> if you tour with guitars is, you know, something happened like I dropped the National in the ocean one time. Oh. Don't ever do that, folks. Don't yeah. That. And, uh, the, the Nick Lucas uh, got uh, damaged. I asked um, for the, uh, the bridge to be worked on a little and the repair guy broke the truss rod. I didn't ask him to do that. So the, these heartbreaking things with these vintage guitars that I had such an attachment to because they were really, it was really, oh, they were me. This is like part of, this is ex part of my body and they break. So what do you do? What happens when you, when you break your tool, when, when you break your hammer, you get another hammer. So I got a, I, I, so that sort of started uh, my quest to, to always keep getting guitars because it, I was so heartbroken when I broke my old Nick Lucas. And I was devastated when my national went in the ocean <laughs> so we're assuming both of them have been fully restored uh well the national has the nick lucas i should have some things done but i still have them both and they're still great guitars but uh, that sent me on the journey of discovering modern luthiers that build in a vintage style so um, along that way, I ended up um, uh, building relationships with a lot of really great luthiers that are uh, really the best of the golden age luthiers that build in a vintage style. Like I have a Ralph Bound guitar. I'll show you this one. It's a 12 string. I'll show you the headstock first, if you can see that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's Stella. Stella body shape. Um, He's an English luthier, isn't he? Beautiful, beautiful guitar. But Ralph Bound in England built that one. So uh, that's my 12 string. And um, this is one built by, it looks like the old Nick Lucas, but it's yeah. built by Dale Fairbanks. So Fairbanks guitars. He's a, a wonderful, wonderful luthier that does stuff in the old Gibson style. That's beautiful, beautiful. And another cool cat is Tony Klassen. He's an Arc New Era. 
And look at this. <laughs> Doesn't it look like a 1930 Kel Croydon? It's yeah. It's a Kel And uh, look at the little <laughs> jaunty little rectangles dancing up the mother of uh, pearl fingerboard. And check out the, the scene. Isn't that something? <laughs> kind of like a century of progress on stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're built in the exact same era, but these were feather light builds. So there's these. Oh, I got to show you another um, another one. Uh, a very important uh, luthier named uh, Todd Cambio. This is a Fraulini guitar. And uh, look at this guitar. It's a parlor guitar, it's sort of inspired by the early, early Italian guys. Um, you know, Galliano's and, uh, but he, he's in Madison, Wisconsin. Look at the headstock, isn't that something? And uh, so that's Fraulini. Um, so uh, that's kind of what led me to, uh, oh, nationals, of course. I got all kinds of nationals, but this is my latest one. That's, uh, it's, it's the, if you can see the exploding palm pattern on it. It's my baritone tricone. So um, and I'll, I'll give you, this. I'm kind of up close, but at least you can see some detail. So this really captures, and look at the, the inlays, look at the Roman numerals. This is very 1938 uh, reproduction vintage, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a baritone guitar. So it's, it's huge sounding. And uh, so I've been working with National since the uh, late 90s and uh, do a lot with those guys. But that, that all builds up to um, Santa Cruz, which is what we're talking about here today. And uh, uh, I want to show you my catfish special. I'll show you the headstock first, if you can see. Uh, uh, you can see the little fish guy. That's the my Fishtail Records logo that was done by Jimmy Wingert. And if you look up the fingerboard, you'll see the little bubbles floating up the fingerboard. And then the, the, the incredible wood of this single O size guitar. This is a shimmering uh, uh, a mahogany that comes from Guatemala. And... Uh, I'll show you the back too. Look at this. Look at this first. That's beautiful. Incredible. And this is um, really, it's the, about the finest guitar. I, I have a lot of really great guitars, but um, there's so much about this guitar that is incredible. And the story of meeting Richard Hoover, uh, I had been going to NAM, the NAM show in Anaheim. And it was in, in Los Angeles once a few years, uh, many years ago, but in Anaheim, the Winter Nam show, I'd go with National. And um, I'd been working with those guys since uh, when I first met them in 1997. So I did quite a few Nam shows over the years. And uh, it was really cool. And you, of course, you know, you're, you're hanging out and, oh, the print, there's prints. Oh, oh there's, there goes Slash. Uh, oh, hey, it's Stevie Wonder. And uh, wow. And, and Dwayne Eddy. There's Dwayne Eddy. And, uh, you know, so uh, it's an incredible, 
you hear the twang in your head, you know? So it was incredible. And uh, so we always would have so much fun at NAMM. And um, that's when we first met Richard Hoover because the area down in Hall E, where, which was is the lower level, it's not the five football fields long uh, main level, which is total cacophony, uh, you know, like a thousand bass players playing at once, a thousand trumpet players playing at once, a thousand drummers playing at once. But down, down in that hall E, I mean, it's still cacophony, but it's more like uh, there's, there's Froggy Bottom and Loudon and Breedlove and uh, Santa Cruz and, um, you know, Dana Bourgeois and uh, uh, Husson Dalton and Deering uh, and National. So in th th that's where I first uh, got to meet uh, Richard Hoover. And um, I always loved that guy. He was always so inspirational. You guys know you've talked to him, but uh, he is so charming and uh, brings so much love and dedication. And he's one of my hero human beings. Um, and the, the quality of the guitars, the quality of the guitars, the more I'd come back and try them out, it's like, man, these are incredible. And, uh, and you know, we, we got to know each other over the years, but finally, I guess it was in 2015, me and Penny were walking by and we, you know, they had their lineup of guitars and um, there was one that was all mahogany, not the, this fancy, but it was just, it was Don Edwards' model, the cowboy singer, they call that guitar. So it slightly bigger body shape than this, but it was a small body guitar. It was all mahogany and it was like a light bulb went off in my head. Like, oh man, uh, let's try that guitar. So I tried it out and I loved it. And I always loved mahogany guitars. Um, but, I, you know, I have so many that are mahogany back and sides. A ton, most of them probably the wood body guitars, and uh, but the all mahogany the way Santa Cruz did it, it was like whoa, listen to this, and it was it, it wasn't that sort of I've played a few uh, all mahogany guitars that were sort of mid rangey and weren't really that great, but the Santa Cruz it was like it was wonderful, and uh, um, so the light bulb went off as in my why don't we try, let's try a guitar, you know? And um, we had meetings with Richard and we went to the, in fact, we had, we've had a couple of his great factory tours. And in one of those tours, uh, we saw guitars that were, you know, almost ready. And there was one that was, you know, all, it was a more figured mahogany than this. It was sort of stripier, but it was like, uh, what about that wood, Richard? And um, then he took me to this secret wood pile. Ah, uh, the secret stash. Yeah, and he uh, pulled out some boards and uh, the, these catfish special uh, guitars are made of this wood. And I think he got the wood in Guatemala. So, and um, uh, so all these catfish specials. And I think he's made, they've made a lot of them. Um, but they're all this sort of magic wavy figured uh, mahogany wood. 
and uh, with the full body, you would, don't really think it's a sunburst, but it is kind of a burst they do on the finish. So, um, but just a jaw-dropping guitar, and, and we kind of came to, you know, I just told him some specs that I liked. I liked a guitar with a, um, you know, it's it's 24.9 uh, scale length. It's one and 13 sixteenths, kind of a wide neck. And um, I just let them, and a little bit of a V, not much. It's pretty soft, really. It's a, not really, doesn't feel V-ish at all, really, but there's just a little bit of it. So, but you, when they presented the guitar, you know, I was astounded, like right out of the box, it was, uh, so there's a lot of, so there's, There's just so much in there, just so much juice. And the more you 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 go into it, the more come that you get from it. So, um, it's an astounding instrument. So I, I got to tell my little story that um, Stevie Coyle has a little guitar shop out in Lafayette, California, and he he would have performances in the back room, and he sent out a note about you know Catfish Keith is going to be playing the back room, uh, and I said to my wife, I said that sounds great, you know, I, I'd love to go hear this guy. So we went out, and that was the the night of the day you picked up that guitar at Santa Cruz, and <laughs> I was blown away. I, I mean, I. I it was mind-boggling to me, not just the music you were doing, but the sound you were getting out of this little tiny guitar. Um, it was eye-opening and jaw-dropping all at the same time. And <laughs> well, I mean, that's just like, well, we got to keep track of this guy. This is amazing. <laughs> thank you. And uh, the moment that you saw me play that guitar was the moment I, I first, you know, really played it. I mean, when you, when you get it, you go, okay, that sounds good. But you don't really know until you do a gig with it, what it'll do. And, uh, you know, like my hair, my, my hair, it was like, boom, it was doing all that. And, uh, my socks rolling up and down kind of, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, um, I was really, just knocked out and uh, over over time we've just um, had so much fun with those guys like we'll go to the NAMM show every year and uh, we were in the Santa Cruz house and uh, you know for three or four days uh, living with Richard and uh, Carolyn and Gerard and Christina and uh, Storm and um, and then uh, Eric Sky, wow, and uh, James Nash, Scott Law, Lisa Liu uh, came last year, and we're just sitting around playing guitars all the time. Oh. And wow, what rarefied company to be in! And uh, you know, like uh, I remember just so much magic 
just being yeah. able to hang out and play with those guys and like the level of musicianship was whoa way up way up there way up there yeah so uh it, it was such a pleasure and um to be able to do that uh it's a rare thing and, and really beautiful and um so i just feel really really lucky that i was adopted and uh uh, be able to be part of the Santa Cruz company. It's, it's really great. That, that's an amazing story. I, it, it would just be so incredible to be a fly on the wall at the Santa Cruz house during NAM because the music has got to be unbelievable. Somebody should be recording it and releasing underground albums of some kind. <laughs> no, it, it really is. And, um, you know, like all of the, the funny uh, preferences of uh, all the different guitar players um, you know like I like my guitars tuned a whole step low and everybody was trying it out oh yeah it's better this way and then um, Scott Law had a baritone guitar and he was uh, doing all, all the things on his big old baritone Santa Cruz and uh, um, you know of course Eric Sky all doing his genius things all the time and then Lisa Lou, it, it was, it was just incredible. And um, uh, I was just hanging on tight and having some fun, man. It was <laughs> wonderful. It sounds like you were in the uh, adult house. I've, I've understood that some years at NAM, there's been an adult house and then a, kind of like a kid's house. Um, so there was a couple, you know, when they would take big, big, uh, big groups of folks. It sounds like you were in the adult in the adult house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. So, new record. Yeah. Do you do that? Did you do that the same way you did Catfish Crawl, where you just take in 50 songs and well, um, play them? You know, there, th th this new album is, um, I decided to put together original songs that um, I had done over the many years. So, um, I mean, on most of my albums, It'll be a handful of originals, but uh, a lot of my reimaginings of uh, old old songs, and they're really kind of re um, the the way I'll do a like an old time country or country blues song is to totally absorb it, and um, like until I'm sort of obsessed with it, and and then I'll go to try and play it. So it's not like I'm taking a record and trying to play just like the record. So my approach is sort of uh, bathing in the song and then recreating to where it can become a whole new song. So that's how I, I've made, and that's probably uh, a result of growing up in the age that I grew up in. Uh, there was not uh, a million instructional videos on how to play like whoever you want to there that's all that's just right there now but back then you had to kind of use some imagination and, and play by ear and uh, really absorb music and um, absorb the soul of the music and then take it and create your own thing from it so what I'm trying to get at was uh, those original songs that I did along the way, 
uh, they sound remarkably like old country blues. <laughs> they don't sound like, um, okay, here's now my singer songwriter material. That's, you know, all of a sudden it sounds completely different. It sounds the same as uh, any of the country blues I do. So it really is my own uh, songs. Uh, but um, I, I, and uh, they're songs from um, over 40 years. I just chose 13 of them. I could have crammed more on there, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And um, so that'll be what Blues at Midnight is about and um, as always there's a, a whole passel of guitars on there and uh, um, mostly solo on, on a couple of the cuts. One has Randy Sabine playing fiddle and uh, he's a great great musician and one has Peter Madcat Ruth playing harmonica, another virtuoso cat. I've known those guys forever and uh, but all the rest are, are solo pieces. And uh, I was very pleased how it came together. And um, it's called Blues at Midnight. And it should be, uh, you know, in a month or so, we'll probably have, you know, CDs. And then it takes a little longer for LPs. And, uh, but that'll be what we'll be promoting for the next year or two. And, um, but Catfish Crawl, um, I was very tickled how uh, it came out and um, very pleased with the songs and the sound. And um, the, the world seemed to like it pretty well too. It, uh, um, I'm very proud of what we've been able to do. And, uh, and our record label is me and Penny. Penny Cahill, that's my wife. She's president of Fishtail and um, We've been doing this together for 30 years. Um, we've been married 32 years, but um, she put her full force into helping out uh, my music career. And we've always traveled together. We always, um, she's always there um, for everything and always part of all the decisions of um, what we do on a record. Uh, uh, and everything. And um, is she your biggest critic? Well, she uh, she helps me do things like um, she says you need to study those lyrics. No more baby, baby. You know, you gotta study those lyrics. You know, and uh, she, so she says very constructive things that I need to hear. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so, um, but she's also she also runs my sound during shows. And um, so I can tell when it's going good because if, if uh, you know, we're, we're right in the groove and doing great, Penny will be, she'll be at the soundboard and she'll be kind of rocking out like that. And uh, uh, so that's when I, I know I have nothing to worry about. The, the signal's just going right out there and doing what we want it to do, which is make people dance, make people tap their foot, you know, hopefully inspire some joy. And uh, well, that brings up that brings up an interesting point because you did have a little bit of trouble with sound in Lafayette because the guitar was brand new. And I think you guys weren't necessarily had everything 
dialed in for a live performance like that. But talk a little bit about how you get your sound, um, what kind of equipment you use, and, and you know, the well, geeky stuff that the guitar players listening to this want to hear about. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk microphones. Oh, <laughs> we, um, I don't really, for microphones, uh, if we bring our own stuff and if we're asked what we want, I, I usually just ask for a, an SM57 on the guitar and a, a 58 on vocals because they're consistent. They really do well. And, um, you know, sometimes if they have a, a nice condenser mic, we'll, we'll try that out. But uh, that's always been very reliable. And we use them in conjunction with um, Highlander pickups, which Highlander's not in business anymore but it's not because it wasn't a wonderful uh, product. It's, it's, it is, it, to me, it's still the best uh, pickups and I have them in about, I don't know, 20 or more of my instruments, but they made the, uh, and the, the Santa Cruz has it. Uh, all those other guitars that I showed you have the under the saddle um, piezo pickup that they use, that they invented and, and put out there to me that's a wonderful pickup. And um, in, in the early days of, of pickups, I hated pickups because they, they, it sounded like an electronic rubber band, you know, kind of terrible sound. But when I, um, I think I was introduced to Highlander when I first got together with National Resophonic. And so the first guitar I got from them was called a Delphi. It's a steel bodied, uh, guitar. It's back there. It's still, it is, yeah. still got everything, uh, but uh, but that has a um, also has a Highlander, um, and in the um, single cones, and it's a Delphi. So the 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 golden thread that is the pickup that goes under the saddle of like it would be under here on an acoustic guitar. It's embedded onto the bottom of the biscuit. Um, on a national single cone. And then they invented a, a thing called a magnophonic, which was, I don't really know how it works, but it was a specially invented um, pickup for tricones. So they had those two, two kinds of pickups basically. And uh, actually that's three, that's, but the, so the Highlander under the saddle pickup, the Highlander uh, IP1X that has external battery. These have batteries in, inside the guitars. And um, and I also use that Highlander. I use a, a stomping board. Uh, I, when I stand up, I tap my foot and that has a Highland, the same Highlander pickup is in that board. And it's a wonderful pickup because you can EQ it any way you want. And the sound is really pure, really good. And they didn't change anything in the last 20 years of, of the technology of it, but that's because it was great. And uh, they're still great. And I really wish they were still around. And uh, because I don't know when, now when people ask me what pickup should I use, uh, I don't know quite what to tell them because I was so used to those that they were wonderful pickups. And uh, I have a saw suggestion a, for you when we're off air, but. <laughs> I, I saw a, a, a video of you uh, performing Gonna Live That Life. 
And I was wondering if there was some kind of stomp board involved in that because it was yeah. just, yeah, there was just, it was just so, there was so much bottom end, you know, yeah. and I'm thinking he can't be doing that with his thumb. He just can't be doing yeah, it's, that. It's with my foot and I've always, always tapped my foot. And in the early days, say up till about uh, the late nineties, um, everything, it was all microphones, including putting the mic way down by the floor. And that was all kind of a big feedback problem. You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't ideal. And I was playing way too hard and I was kind of giving myself tendonitis and uh, I was breaking strings all the time. Uh, so as a young player with no pickups and playing too hard, yeah, breaking those strings, it was, it was uh, hard to, keep the guitars in tune when all that's happening. So when I got onto using the pickups, not only did the sound sound better, but uh, it saved my, my hands from falling off from tendonitis and other problems. So all of a sudden I didn't have to play so hard and I could hear myself and it was, I was saved, man. I, like I, I, feel like I was giving my my hands back <laughs> and um, so that was a big revolution for me uh, and um, I was really glad that came along what, what, what about what, what about strings what what yeah. you I, I'm, I see you do some bends and I hear you do some bends and I think if these are mediums this guy could just tear a can in half <laughs> well, the strings, um, they on almost all the acoustics, they're a light gauge of, and they're uh, John Pierce phosphor bronze strings. Uh, so it's uh, 53 on the bottom, 12 on the top. And all those guitars uh, are tuned down a whole step. So two frets low. So when I'm playing an E chord, uh, it's actually sounding in, in D, so. So when you're down, uh, that, that looser, that looser uh, uh, string frequency, you can actually, you, you can actually, uh, you know, bend and really get juice out of the, the notes that You can really get a lot of juice out of the guitar and a lot of uh, what people might call extreme uh, string bending. And also when you do the bends on, on harmonics, it, it really, you can still bend it a lot and get a lot of juice out of that. So it's kind of become a, ha a hallmark of my style because I kind of pepper uh, my playing with uh, quite a bit of harmonics um, and it's really become sort of a trademark of my style of guitar because it, it was never really done. Um, you don't really hear harmonics used hardly at all in country blues music and so it just kind of naturally developed from me because um, uh, I've always studied and listened to a lot of kinds of guitar playing but 
I used to hear this lounge player, this jazz guy that would play jazz standards. This was in uh, Santa Cruz, California, about 1984 or so. I was living there and his name was David Winters and I'd see him play in the lounge and he'd do a, something like Autumn Leaves and he'd, be, he'd do finger style arrangements and people were talking, nobody paid attention, but I was like, yeah. And then he'd do a whole chorus uh, in harmonics. And I, that was another thing, a boom, boom, you know? And uh, so uh, I thought, whoa. And then um, the more I'd listen, uh, like Lenny Bro had a beautiful way of playing these cascading, beautiful harmonics. And uh, then uh, Hawaiian players would play their kind of uh, lap style palm harmonics. Uh, so I, uh, from here, in, and, and, and Harpo Marx, uh, Harpo Marx was a, a, a harmonic influence and he played, of course, the harp, but he did it by doing this technique where you split the string in half. So it's, uh, you do, you signify like that and you place it. So you, you're placing it like that. So, but when you're uh, fretting, fretting notes, uh, you know, So you're uh, splitting the string in half and you're pointing with your finger and you're plucking up with the, so that some people call that artificial harmonics. I, I don't like that term because they're real. They're not hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I call them harp harmonics. And if you look at an old Marx Brothers, I forget which Marx Brothers movie, but Harpo actually plays a harp solo and he was a great player. But he, he I think did all of us where he was chiming the strings and using this same technique where you're, you know, where you're placing with your index and you're plucking with your middle finger. And so Harpo Marx's harp harmonics. <laughs> Do, uh, um, there's no, there's no finger picks, right? These are all just, you're, you're my, just, um, uh, on these three nails, I have, uh, fake nails there. Kind of the women's press-on nails, Kiss brand, and uh, <laughs> and you kind of get a whole box full of them, and uh, so I glue them on with super glue, and um, then I file them to shape. They're not they're not extremely long, but you need a little bit of. Uh, here, I'll show you. You need a little bit of nail clearance so you can get a good pluck. On the strings, so uh, it'd be really hard to do that with uh, finger picks. And I do use finger picks sometimes, especially when I play um, on the national, like uh, the finger picks, Goldgate thumb pick, and Dunlop picks. So I'll use these on the national. I'll try this out a little bit for you. And, but the, the national requires a whole other kind of thing. It's uh, it's uh, you know, it's uh, so it's its whole world uh, that nationals seem to really respond better 
but using getting that strike of the metal or plastic uh, on the strings. Uh, that's for, and this is a baritone guitar, so it's uh, that, that's also um, a type of guitar that um, I, I've been playing for a long time. National started making them in 1999, so I got one of the very first ones of those, and it was because I was always tuning my guitars low, and it didn't seem to be able to handle it. I was breaking strings and. I was playing for McGregor and McGregor Gaines and Don Young, founders of National. And I was playing and uh, tuning it low, like C, or trying to get lower than that. And they said, we need a baritone guitar. I said, what's a baritone guitar? And they, they gave me one. And so that started me. And uh, you know, another time that was another thing. And uh, so, uh, <laughs> so that started me on the journey of playing all, almost all of my slide stuff on a baritone guitar. And uh, so, uh, that's been another really cool journey on the guitar. So, a quick guitar geek question: uh, because you're tuning down a full step, and because of the the incredible percussive style you're using do you have your action set high do you have a more relief i mean do you do anything special in the setup no um it's it has sort of a regular-ish setup and um I, I i don't ask them to uh make the action any higher or lower than it needs to be it's just the, the sort of slackness of the lower tuning uh, brings more reverberation and a lot more bending. It's, it is a little trickier to keep the guitar in tune. I noticed if I ever tune up to standard tuning, it'll hold uh, tune a lot better. And so going down a whole step makes everything sort of rubberier. And especially when I'm playing in concert, uh, I guess I probably do a lot more you get a lot more physical uh, sort of adrenaline going. And uh, so it is harder to keep those guitars in tune, but the, the sound and ability to, to bend is, is worth it. And, um, you know, but guitars, I mean, they're always, everything's moving around all the time. You always have to, uh, you know, keep pulling it in like, uh, I'll tune while I'm playing sometimes if the note needs it, <laughs> and it does sometimes. I, I saw, I saw I, in some of the things I've, I've been watching of you, I saw an example of that. And I know that it, it was really great to watch you do it because I've seen Graham Nash do it the same thing. I've seen him do exactly the same thing, you know, like completely tune a guitar and yet keep with the song. And when you were doing that, I was just going, oh, yeah, I love this. You know, this is, this is so cool. You don't have any choice. You're, yeah, you're, already, you're, you're launched into it. You're halfway through, and uh, you're not going to say, stop, stop, stop. You're Wait five minutes in, yeah. Give me a second. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But it, it does, it always helps to tune the guitar. Yeah. It, you, you, you kept right in that. You kept right in the groove on the one that I saw that you did it in. And it was just like, and it, it really, 
you open this door when you make the when you when you get there you open this thing and you go in there and and boy bombs could be going off around you and <laughs> you're 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 in the song which is so beautiful to see catfish it's it really thank you and it um i really do feel um probably closer to it's it's the closest to to really what true magic is when you can get into that song and people are, are with you and you're really going to uh, a true spiritual place. And it's the closest thing, I think, um, to what a divine spirit would be. Or, um, you know, uh, I really feel like I could almost float away when I go into that groove. And, um, it is an incredible thing. And when I, when I experienced it, when I was, uh, I was already playing guitar pretty good, you know, 14, maybe I was 15, 16, somewhere in there. And it came to me in a revelation. It was like, it just revealed itself how beautiful that was and how, uh, I'm going to devote my life to that. I've discovered real magic. And when you're a kid, you try things that you think might be magic. <laughs> like for a while I was trying to learn close up magic tricks, uh, you know, and I'd, I'd be, uh, I don't know, I'd build models and do artwork and, uh, and that has a magic to it, but the real now experience of being, in that groove of that song where you feel like you're lifting off and uh artists that inspired me along the way like like there there are some gospel artists like uh blind willie johnson that you really get the hair raising feel and, and sister rosetta tharp who was always looking up you know and um so um, there are musicians that if you let that in, um, it can really just make your life so sweet. It's incredible. The gospel connection is amazing because that really, that was kind of what I took away from seeing you out at Mighty Fine Guitars was when you got into that song, when you were playing, I mean, you transformed. I mean, it, it wasn't a musician playing a song, it was an experience. It was, it was, it was mind boggling. And, and I never really made the connection, but you're right. It's like a gospel performance. It's really amazing. And uh, thank you. And it, uh, yeah, I'm still, I feel very grateful to be able to, uh, you know, conjure that up and it's like, it's sort of like going through a door. I mean, you go from being mild mannered human being, you know, uh, adjusting, making sure you're all adjusted and everything's ready. And uh, then when you launch into it, it's like going through a spiritual doorway where you feel like you're kind of, you're kind of starting to float and uh, people are, are coming along with you and uh, 
there's nothing better. There's nothing yeah. better than that. And you, and you do it without a phone booth. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but that, that part of music, that sort of, un, you can't even put it to words really, but um, it is a magic thing and it is a transforming thing. And if people can take some of that with them and also be transformed and also feel uh, magic and uh, all those emotions that humans have, that are, uh, that's the best of us. That's the best of what we can do. And if everybody could just do some of that, uh, maybe the world would be in not quite such a fix, right? Amen. 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 Cat, Catfish, you have been absolutely so gracious with your time and, um, and your, and your, and your heart, you know, yeah. that's, 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 that, that's what makes it special. I mean, um, I, I, we're really honored to have you here. Um, we will post all of your information alongside of this like your website and whatever you want to send us in that, you know, along that line. But, um, wow. Um, blues at midnight. If you haven't gotten catfish crawl yet, everybody should have one. I saw some pretty good merch on the site as well. Saw some pretty good t-shirts and, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, uh, what's the slide? Oh, well, let me show you the slide. Uh, this is made by Ian McQuee. It's diamond bottlenecks and he makes them in England. If you look up close at, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, it has my, my name on it. The, the silver part came off a little bit, but the, the important thing is that it's thick glass. And it's, it, it is from a, a wine bottle. And if you look at the, this end that goes to your pinky, it's curved in. And so it fits in there. Yeah. It fits yeah. on. It's right in that. there. So uh, it has very natural feel. And um, Ian McWee in uh, the Midlands in England, he, he's the best. He makes every kind, and he'll, he'll measure everything to size, uh, you know, for your ring size. And he'll, he'll make all these colors and uh, uh, different kinds of glass and uh, tone bars. And oh man, he's the greatest for slides, but it is a wine bottle and uh, and uh, nice and thick. And to me, those make the best, gives it the sort of weepy um, vocal-like quality to, this, to the sound. So that's my slide. <laughs> Dad, you got anything else? Do I got well, anything you know, else? The only the last thing I could think to even ask him about would be where he gets his incredible wardrobe. But, you know, we'll leave that for uh, a follow-up <laughs> question on another podcast. <laughs> only my tailor knows that yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah thank you thank you so much um uh what a what a magical how long have we been talking 15 minutes <laughs> something like that <laughs> time has time has just gotten away from us so uh wow yeah well so much my pleasure man and uh Everybody love each other. Yes. Be good to each other. Wear your mask. Vote. 
boat. Come on, everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're doing it. We're making it. <laughs> Love you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank yeah. you. Be well. And we really look forward to you coming back out to the Bay Area. We would love to see you in person. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I'd love to come and uh, bless your hearts, man. All right. Thank, Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Kat. Have a great day. Take care, brothers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.